Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. When Israel was reborn in 1948, many Jewish people were eager to return to their homeland after enduring the pain of the Holocaust. Each year, Israel sets aside a day to remember this tragic time in history, and Yom HaShoah became an official national holiday in 1959. When we think about the Holocaust, we think about the six million Jewish lives which were lost in this tragedy. What many may not realize is that Messianic Jews were also targeted by the Nazis, and the Holocaust severely harmed the Messianic communities throughout Europe. Back in 2018, Dr. Mitch Glazer gave a lecture at our Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies during Yom HaShoah to share about the impact of the Holocaust on Messianic Jewish communities in Warsaw, Poland. As we play portions of this lecture, We hope that you will be inspired by the faithful perseverance of those who put their trust in the Messiah, even as their lives were threatened. It's on this day that we remember those Jewish people who perished in the Holocaust. And the impact of that uh, uh, transcends uh, days and weeks and months and years and generations. the Messianic Jewish community was deeply affected uh, by the Holocaust. And so we're going to take a look at that. The Messianic Jews, those Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, in the Warsaw Ghetto. And uh, I know that when I first became a believer, I was sure that my grandparents, for example, never heard about Yeshua, never heard about Jesus. And I remember the day I was so uh, overjoyed when I visited the American Board of Missions to the Jews' work in southern Florida that was run by Martin Clayman. And this was when I was a very, very young guy, a new believer, maybe about six months in the Lord. I went down to visit my grandparents, whom my parents instructed me I could not say a word about my faith to. And uh, But I did find out that Chosen People Ministries or the American Board of Missions to the Jews had a monthly fellowship meeting there. And I went and there were probably, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 uh, very mature adults of my age now and older uh, who were rejoicing in the Lord, 
speaking Yiddish. And I thought that it was the most marvelous thing that I'd ever seen because I thought that only young Jewish people believed in Jesus. And, but it was then that I started having hope, even for my own grandparents. And uh, as far as I know, they never came to faith. Uh, but I can tell you that there is no doubt that the gospel went out in power to both uh, Jews and non-Jews uh, in Eastern Europe uh, during the Holocaust period and prior to the Holocaust. And I've done extensive research on this period, and it's very encouraging to me, as I hope it will be encouraging to you. So we're going to look at this, and in a sense, uh, we're going to focus just a little bit on the Messianic Jewish people who perished in the Holocaust. Not that we don't care about so many others. We do, deeply. It's a heart, heartbreaking story. And, uh, but most people do not know that there were Messianic Jews uh, who were believers during the Holocaust. Most people don't know that there were Messianic Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto. And so we're going to examine that tonight. And I hope that will give you a deeper appreciation for what God did in this dark and difficult time. For many years, uh, I believe that there was uh, very little information about uh, Messianic Jews. Sometimes we're called Hebrew Christians. None of us like that name anymore. But Messianic Jews, Hebrew Christians, Jewish believers uh, in the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, Dan Cohn Sherbach, a, uh, an American uh, Jewish reform rabbi who's a historian who's lived in London uh, many years and whom I know, uh, wrote this in, in his book on Messianic Judaism. Following the Holocaust, missions to the Jewish people ceased to function in those cities where the Jewish population had been largely eliminated. In Warsaw, for example, only a few hundred Jews survived the war. Most of the workers stationed there escaped before the outbreak of the war, while others in the Warsaw, died in the Warsaw Ghetto or in one of several concentration camps. So Dan Cohn Sherbach is saying, all we know about Messianic Jews and those who work with Jewish missions like Chosen People Ministries is that they died. They either left before or they died. And I'll tell you how that worked. The Gentile missionaries to the Jews, for the most part, got out. The Jewish missionaries to the Jews died or somehow miraculously survived. Uh, but is that all we can know? Not really. I think, I don't think Dr. Uh, Sherbach is totally wrong, but I think uh, though there's very little known about the life and testimony of Jewish believers in the Warsaw Ghetto, I think there's actually a lot more than he thought. And uh, there are a couple of factors in this. Uh, after studying all of this myself, I realized that if you do not look at the Jewish believers in the Warsaw Ghetto through, in part, Catholic eyes, you miss it. Now, that's hard for some of you, okay? If you're Catholic, it's, it's uh, wonderful for you. Uh, but if you're not, and uh, then it's difficult for you. I've been to Warsaw many times, and it's, very, it's, a, it's a most unusual place in Europe. Uh, because there are 
there's a closer relationship between Protestants and Evangelicals and Messianic Jews and Catholics than there is in many other countries, including Italy. I mean, in Italy, nobody would talk to each other. But in, in Warsaw, they eat dinner together. They have services together. And uh, you, you just can't be some kind of Christian in Poland, even today, without having some engagement with, with the Catholic Church. It's just impossible. Some of the Jewish mission stuff that was going on at that time, which I find particularly fascinating because uh, if you notice the second one there, that's the American Board of Missions to the Jews, now Chosen People Ministries. Uh, our ministry was operating in Warsaw for decades prior to the Holocaust. In fact, we owned a property uh, on the other side of the river, and I went looking for it. I was going to try and get it back for us, but it's gone. And it was bombed. Uh, CMJ, the church's ministry among the Jews, the uh, Anglican mission to the Jewish people, they also had a lovely property. That was bombed, and now I think it was uh, Nissan, I think, has its headquarters there or something, one of the car companies. Uh, and so there was quite a bit, and let me just keep going, Mild May Mission to the Jews. There's the Bethel Mission to the Jews, that was uh, Leon Rosenberg. Danish Mission to the Jews, the Bridget, British Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Among the Jews. Aren't you glad that you don't work for that organization? I mean, that's a, that's a long name. And uh, the Barbican Mission to the Jews, which was another Jewish mission. Uh, the Hebrew Christian Alliance. Uh, what you have to understand is there were thousands of Messianic Jews in Warsaw. And there probably were 12 to 15 Messianic congregations in Warsaw. And there were at least a dozen or more Jewish ministries operating in Warsaw. But then there were the Messianic congregations, oftentimes attached to the missions. And then you had a lot of evangelical churches, Protestant churches in particular, that were involved with Jewish ministry. And in my estimation, probably 50 to 60 percent of the Jewish believers in Warsaw went to Catholic churches, who were even adult uh, believers. And so you really had a, a, a robust messianic movement in Warsaw before the ghetto, but where do you think they all ended up? We learned a lot uh, from the International Missionary Council, Christian Approach to the Jews, uh, Vienna meeting in 1937 about what was happening prior to the Nazi invasion. So let me read it. The American Board of Missions to the Jews, Chosen People Ministries, has a center in Warsaw on the east of the river. They have room for some inquirers in addition to general evangelistic work. The Mile May Mission to the Jews, which is Messianic Testimony today in England, has a hall in the Jewish quarter in Warsaw, and their work mainly touches poorer Jews. The American-European Fellowship is in Warsaw and works with children. They also have a villa in Radoso, which is used in the summer for children's work. The Bethel Mission in Lodz, has an evangelistic center in a colony. In addition, in Poland, there's one Pentecostal evangelist, um, uh, open brethren, some closed brethren, and a few private evangelists living by faith. 
And the four major missions in Warsaw all worked together in close cooperation. So that was a snapshot of Jewish missions in Warsaw in 1937. So uh, the resettlement, which is also referred uh, to its German, it was called the Acteon. Uh, the Acteon was basically uh, uh, the transport to the concentration camps and the liquidation of more than 300,000 Jewish people. Um, uh, there is a, a, a word that I cannot pronounce, uh, but there was a train station in the ghetto, and that's where they would bring people. And you can go and visit that. It's a memorial uh, today. And uh, so it didn't take long to liquidate uh, almost a half a million people. Here's a, a report that came through the International Missionary Council about what was happening uh, in Poland about the time of the Warsaw Ghetto. When the Nazis invaded Poland in 39, conditions among the Jews were already bad. But after the invasion, this is a report, the final solution arrived in Poland like a raging storm from hell. Jews and missionaries to the Jews were rounded up, taken to concentration camps, or killed. The actual bombing of Poland also was severe, did severe damage to the country. Chaos was everywhere, and the work of the missions ground to a full halt from which it would never recover. Thousands of executions are reported. Hundreds of thousands are in concentration camps and compulsory labor camps. Three and a half million Jews are exposed to the worst vindictiveness of the Nazis. 200,000 more from all parts of the Reich form a terrible ghetto at Lublin, where destitution and plague are adding to their ministries. How many native missionaries have been cut off by the war and the work of all British societies have been discontinued? The Danish mission at Lvov has been brought to an end. It is not known whether the American board is still able to work. Some missionaries from the small Baltic states are also among the refugees. All the missionary activities in German territories, formerly carried on by British societies, are presumed to have come to an end. Extensive work in Poland has been suspended, including the work of the Church Mission to the Jews, the British Society for the Propagation of the Gospel among the Jews, the Mild May Mission to the Jews, and the Barbican Mission to the Jews. And just one quick further report on what happened to the CMJ Emanuel Hall facility. Four bombs fell on the mission premises of CMJ in Warsaw, which were destroyed together with the residences of the missionaries. Reverend Allison, the missionary at Lvov, escaped to Romania just before the Russian entry, and no organized missionary work is being carried out there. So of course, it wasn't just Warsaw, it was, it was all over. In summary, missions to the Jews died in Poland. A slow death, a torturous death, but it died with the destruction of the ghetto in 1943. And Jewish missions and the Messianic movement died in Poland along with more than 800,000 Jewish people.
We'll be right back. Shalom. My name is Nicole Vaca, and I'm one of the co-producers of Our Hope Podcast. We created Our Hope to be a window into the Messianic community, a place where we can discuss Israel and the Bible, and a resource for people who want to share their faith more effectively and compassionately with the Jewish community. If you are interested in supporting what we do, you can donate to Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com donate. You can also support us by sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for your support, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Philip Friedman, a Jewish historian of the Warsaw Ghetto, well-known, asserts in a study that he published all the way back in 1957, which was only uh, 12 years after the end of the war. So it was, you know, it's pretty recent. He said, in Warsaw, there were more than 6,000 baptized Jews who were ordered to move into the ghetto And then he adds a statement that is mind-boggling to me. So again, Friedman, who's a respected historian, says 6,000 baptized Jews were ordered by the Nazis to move into the ghetto where they established their own churches. Now, what does that mean? What did they start? The above makes me think that there may have been Messianic Jewish worship services in the Warsaw Ghetto. Maybe Messianic congregational services. How long did they last? Not long. The Jewish people didn't last. People were dying each day. People were being transported uh, to Treblinka and dying. But if there was, this is what I've always believed and finally was able to see it in black and white in the research with all the thousands of Jewish believers. And that's just what Friedman and, and the others say. I'm sure there were more actually. They were, they were put into the ghetto where they continued their testimony. And I'm going to show you more evidence of it. They continued their testimony until their dying breath. I gained some interesting sort of semi-personal insight into this uh, when I, with different eyes, read through a book that I had read many, many times and handed out to a lot of people called Night Cometh in the Morning, which was the testimony of a Polish-Jewish believer by the name of Rachmiel Friedland that I and Doug Pyle know personally, knew personally. Let me read what, what he writes. In late 1944, now I believe he had the year wrong when he wrote it. It was 43. But I'll talk it over with him when I say that. So in late 1944, by hiding in cemeteries, deserted churches, and the homes of fearful friends, I was one of the few surviving Jews in Warsaw outside the ghetto. In that enclosure were 5,000 Jews the last of 
Warsaw's original 500,000. You realize um, we don't know exactly what the numbers were, but, but you get an idea for it. By God's enabling, I secretly slipped into the ghetto and was able, and it's, that's not the only report of people slipping in and out of the ghetto. But I don't understand, it's why people just didn't, everybody just didn't leave if they could slip out. But they did slip in and out. I secretly slipped into the ghetto and was able to speak comfort to a few of the Jewish believers still alive. 1943. Other Jewish brethren heard the message and believed in Messiah Jesus. But my friends in the ghetto insisted that I leave. They said if God had preserved me thus far, I would be a witness to the woes they now experienced. At the end of the war, I could tell the story of their suffering, which he did. I was probably one of the last to leave the ghetto. It was only shortly afterward, excuse me, that the Germans obliterated the entire ghetto. Friedland was one of the most well-known Messianic Jewish survivors of the Holocaust, and his testimony was known far and wide. Endelman, who's no friend of Messianic Jews, writes this, the number of conversions in Warsaw was probably greater than the number recorded. He admitted, he, in, 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 in addition to those, he was speaking about a, a Polish guy's research, and he said, he omitted inadvertently due to defective records and those he was paid to omit. Don't ask me about that one. Those who were baptized by Anglican missionaries, agents of, this, of CMJ, among the Jews probably because he did not have access to their records. And that was a guy by the name of Yeshki Choisinki who did research about this also, another Catholic guy. And uh, here's what Endelman says. We also should not simply assume that the majority of believers were Catholic. Endelman, reflecting on this other Polish guy's research, which studied the Warsaw Jewish population through the turn of the 20th century, affirms that the majority of Jewish converts to Christianity became Protestants. So Endelman affirms that most were Protestants. The ones who became believers through the Jewish missions, we want to call them Messianic Jews, but they were, they were identified as Protestants. And he goes on to try and explain it. And he says, uh, number one, Jews, uh, chose, Jews who became Christians chose Protestantism more often than Catholicism because it was less offensive to them as secularists and victims of religious tolerance. Interesting. Roman Catholicism seemed idolatrous and ritualistic, while Protestantism, by comparison, appeared enlightened and rational. Now, I think what he's missing there, Endelman, because he doesn't get it, is the work of the missions. The reason why the, the missions, which were all Protestant, had a more effective ministry among the Jewish people was because they were Jewish in orientation. They had Friday night services and Saturday morning services. They celebrated all the Jewish holidays. 
In one year, CM, in, at the turn of the century, CMJ reported almost 1,000 Jewish people in Warsaw coming to faith. There was a movement of the Holy Spirit. Then, and in the, in the midst, in between the wars, we have records of literally thousands turning to the Lord. People say, well, those are the Jewish missions. So, you know, they don't write accurately. You know, even then we were accused of writing evangelistically. I want to tell you, we pay pretty close attention in Chosen People Ministries to the accuracy of our numbers. And I hope you do. And most of my peers in Jewish ministry today, I know they do too. The Jewish believers were called uh, michas, michas. It's not a complimentary Yiddish word. And Ringelblum uses it, and other people use it. And the michas um, were, it was from the Hebrew word mechas for custom, tax, or levy. And it was a metaphorical uh, concept when it came to Jewish believers. And here's the way they played it. The Jewish believers were called mechas because it was viewed that the token or the tax that they paid for their own survival was baptism. So that's how they got the name. And they were a well-known group within the Warsaw Ghetto. The problem is, is that there were two types, and this is for real. Um, the ones who were more nominal Catholics, for the most part, um, were well-known in the ghetto. Uh, uh, Adam Chernienko actually ran the Judenroot, actually ran the ghetto on behalf of the Gestapo. And he was a known convert to Catholicism. He was called a Mechas. Uh, Joseph Cerneski. Uh, Cerneski was the police chief of police, the Jewish police in the ghetto, and they did abominable things to their fellow Jews. Actually, Chinyenko, uh, when it came time for the Acteon and the, uh, the, the removal of most of the hundreds of thousands of Jews to Treblinka, uh, he was asked to carry that out, and he killed himself. He couldn't do it. And so, um, Lucy de Witowitz, do you know that name? The Wars Against the Jews, very famous Jewish historian, no lover of Messianic Jews. She writes this. Some police chiefs and men were outsiders to the communities that they served, refugees or evacuees who found favor with the Germans by whom they were appointed. Some were apostates. Michas. In Warsaw, the first police chief was Josef Sinerski, formerly a colonel in the Polish police, a Catholic convert, reputedly an anti-Semite. He undoubtedly recruited police from his circle of apostate friends. And they worshipped in the two churches within the ghetto. So you had the real believers, the Jewish believers, and these other guys in the same church service. On March 18, 1941, Ringelblum noted that 100 apostates served in the police in visible positions. One of them, he added, was heard in church to have shouted, down with the Jews. Is it true? 
Um, maybe. I don't think a real Jewish believer would have sat down with the Jews. Uh, but this is recorded in the Jewish side of the historical literature that survived. So I admire Rimmel Bloom, but I have read most of his history. And he talks a lot about the Jewish believers. And he hated them because he basically said, these guys were the Jewish believers. And you had other Jewish believers who were michas. They did get baptized. They were traitors. Um, but they just weren't as bad as these other guys. So the, here's the moral of the story. The wheat grows with the tares, friends. And only God can separate during the harvest. So the hardline socialists like Ringelblum and also the Orthodox Jews use these Jewish policemen as an example of how Jews who become Christians turn their back on the Jewish people. Now you have to remember, it's ludicrous. Anyway, I mean, you understand when they wrote it, things were hot. But all of those Jewish policemen were killed. None of them survived. Every single one of them were killed by the Nazis. So it didn't do them any good. Um, so in summary, even though Jewish Christians held critical roles in running the ghetto, uh, and people including uh, uh, Hertzfeld ran, I mean, they couldn't have survived without Hertzfeld um, finding ways to keep everybody dying from typhus. So he was a hero. But the Jewish Christians held critical roles in running the ghetto. They were still viewed with disdain by both the religious and the social, socialist ideologues, including Ringelblum, uh, who actually appointed one of his members of the Oineg Shabbos, uh, Marion um, Malowitz, who was a guy, to research the converts. And uh, listen to this. Malowitz gives a history of the situation before the war underscoring the fact that only rarely did the assimilationist and Christian Jews support the cause of the Jewish people. As with most Jews writing in the ghetto, Malowitz presents baptism as a materialistic or socio-political choice. He simply does not consider the question of faith or religious belief. And he classifies the michas as assimilationists and traitors. So generally speaking, the Jewish believers, Protestant or Catholic, were viewed negatively by the mainstream Warsaw Jewish ghetto community. And uh, we just have to accept that that was true. What it, did it mean to be a Jew in the Warsaw ghetto? It meant that you would die for being a Jew, no matter what you believe or what you practiced. I have really come to love Hertzfeld, and I've read most of his uh, book called Historia. Um, and it's really quite a book. And, uh, and again, he became a believer later in life. Um, he 
he saw a difference between authentic believers and inauthentic believers. He writes, on Sunday, all the Christians, and not only the Catholics, got that, attended Mass. Everybody was there, doctors, lawyers, those whose baptism was an expression of faith, those for whom it was a Polish symbol, and those who at a certain moment accepted their baptism to further their own self-interest. But all felt the need to gather at least once a week in the church and to participate in the service. So you see, Hertzfeld recognized that there were different layers of levels of faith. Hertzfeld says about uh, baptism, he says, there were many people who were baptized in the quarter, old and young, sometimes whole families. Some of my students were among them, men and women, and I was often asked to be the godfather. What motives drove them to the baptism? They never received any benefits from it. The change of faith didn't entail any change in their legal status. No, they were attracted to it by the appeal of the religion of love. They were attracted by the religion of the nation to which they felt they belonged. They were attracted to the religion to which there was no room, or at least should not be any room, for hatred. Jews were so weary of this universal hatred. And then, uh, uh, just a beautiful quote, just to help you understand his faith. Hirschfeld writes, Glory in excelsis Deo, in his, in his journal. Glory to God in the highest, and peace and goodwill to men. Grabowski Square and Twardo Street disappeared. It's the heart of the ghetto. The excited and feverish crowd of the poor also disappears. We are immersed in the coldness and atmosphere of the place of worship. There is a throng of us that are lost in prayers. We can no longer see the killers and the haters. We are in the company of the enraptured. We are united in a sentiment of higher communion. And then he says, why should I love those monstrous, monstrous men? For no reason. Love is a state of the spirit. Everybody possesses it, but sometimes in a dimmed and muffled state. But it as, is as much an instinct as the hunger for life, as the joy of living. Love is a delight as much as rapture amid the starry silence and the transport of joy of the dancing stars. There are no small things here. Everything emanates from the spirit. A heavenly music is heard. And in this harmony, the soul bends down, sobbing in humiliation. And it embraces the world in rapture. It floats in oblivion. Horrible things, horrible people disappear. All resonates with the greater, capital G, harmony. Finally, uh, Dembowski, at the end of his book, tells a story that offers a fitting conclusion uh, uh, to this, to, our, to an understanding of the ghetto. Nothing more is to be found about the Christians in the Warsaw Ghetto after the great Acteon, the transporting of the majority of the population to Treblinka. A proper ending of this sad history of the two Roman Catholic parishes in the Warsaw Ghetto is to be found not only in the sympathetic farewell offered by a Jewish friend, but also in the poetic expression of post-war writer Hannah Kroll, and uh, who was not herself uh, uh, religious. In her Polish short story, Salvation, we read, when the Germans cleared the church of all the Christian Jews, there was only one Jew left of the church. 
crucified Jesus. And Jesus came down from the cross and called to the painting of his mother, Mama Kim. This means in Yiddish, Mama come. And she came down and they went to the train to join their fellow Jews in Treblinka. Well, there's a lot to learn from the Messianic Jews of the Warsaw Ghetto. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the gospel didn't go out in the concentration camps or in the ghetto. It did. It absolutely did. And the Jewish believers were faithful. And they died with their fellow Jews. And I understand, and we'll talk about it tomorrow night, the Holocaust is one of the major reasons that Jewish people do not believe in Jesus because we, as Jews were raised to believe that Christians perpetrated the Holocaust. But if you ask me, where were the Jewish believers during the Holocaust? They were dying with the rest of their people, just like we would have to do today. Were they martyrs? Were they heroes? Not by choice, but they were nonetheless. And where was Jesus during the destruction of the Jewish community? Well, he bore all our suffering and shame. I have to believe that Jesus, through his people, was present as well. The Holocaust was an attempt to eliminate God's chosen people, but it failed because God is faithful to keep his covenant with Abraham. The Holocaust was also the largest demonstration of hate, but it could not stamp out the gospel message of love. When we look at what happened in Warsaw during the Holocaust, we can learn from those who tried to do the right thing. Love God and love others, no matter the cost. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode was brought to you by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Dr. Greg Hag, the Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies, Abraham Vasquez, Grace Swee, and Kyron Bautista. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.